This is The Art Take, where we explore all kinds of perspectives on creating, appreciating, and existing in a world full of art, hopefully encouraging more nuanced and holistic discussions of art in our daily lives. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to hear your art takes. Okay, so welcome everybody to The Art Take. Uh, In this episode, we're talking about business as an artist. So I thought to bring on my friend Fahed Siadat. Um, he is a very well-accomplished business man and also a very well-accomplished artist. Um, he's done projects such as Hex, C3LA, C4. Um, he also co-founded the Neo Voice Festival, which I thought sort of encompassed this podcast for us in that it's a voice celebrating uh, I mean, it's a voice. It's a festival celebrating um, voices and being unique and being super artistic and trying new things out, which in my head, for some reason, doesn't mean you can be successful in, in art for business, I guess, or make money at it. <laughs> this is the first time me and uh, I had our meeting. Um, what could you just like, besides the the topic of the episode, could you give like our listeners or anybody listening um, sort of just like an intro to you, kind of like some history if you want, what you have for breakfast, anything. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. So I, I live in Los Angeles and uh, and I kind of split my time ev- evenly as a freelance performer, composer, and um, conductor, uh, as well as doing a lot of uh, arts entrepreneurship and arts administration. So um, I, like I said, I mostly write for The Voice. Um, I, I write a lot of music for choral ensembles. I'm uh, working on a large piece right now. It's an acapella oratorio that's being commissioned by a group in Seattle. Um, and we're going to do a, a premiere in Los Angeles in the spring of 2022, pandemic permitting. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I, I'm, I'm writing a piece for a group in Chicago, and I, I do a lot of these sorts of um, commissions for, for vocal ensembles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I also have like a, a an aspect of my work where I do um, work for voice and electronics. So I'm doing a lot of like solo work that's partly improvised and um, working with sound and experimentation. Um, I'll perform in an opera or a musical once a year or so um, with different kinds of organizations. At the beginning of the year, right before the pandemic, I was in the opera Sweetland with the industry. Uh, so that's that's some of my more recent activities. And as I was saying, then I my, my perennial project is I'm running my publishing company. Great. Um, do you want to kind of jump into more about the publishing company as somebody who's not really in the music scene? Um, like any information would be sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, really good. Uh, so classical music publishing is, um, is is mostly about making available the sheet music for other ensembles or performers to um, to be able to purchase and perform. And uh, I started the company in 2012, 2013, I think was when we came out with our first catalog, and it was a lot of my interest in it was um, was going to graduate school. I went to school at CalArts and I saw tons of really exciting and innovative music being written by the composers there. I was uh, directing a student-run ensemble that focused on new music and by um, music by the student composers in particular. And we were premiering all this really exciting new music, like stuff I'd never heard, you know, that it, it, in styles I'd never heard before, just things that didn't sound like your typical sort of churchy, boring <laughs> choral music. And I was like, this is really cool, and none of it's ever going to see the light of day again. Um, and when I moved to New York, I, I joined a, a new music group there that was very similar. It was, 
you know, it was a collectively led by the members of the ensemble, and um, half of every composer or every uh, concert was composed by the members of the group. And again, they were just doing tons of really cool stuff um, in styles that I'd never heard before. And and I just I had this thought. I was like, you know, these composers are, as we were kind of talking about um, before we started the interview, um, are bad at business. You know, they yeah. don't really know how to <laughs> um, promote their stuff and get it out there, and or they're maybe they're just sort of like awkward and shy. And I am not awkward and shy. I've, you know, uh, um, and and I could I could help. And so um, I started this publishing company as a way to advocate for this new and adventurous and innovative music. Mm -hmm. And um, and, it, and it's been great. It's, it's been a project that has given me a platform and, and put me at the table for conversations that I wouldn't otherwise be a part of, like this. You know, right. um, but also, you know, I'll, I'll go to choral conferences like uh, the American Choral Directors Association and um, and as an advocate of new music, you know, I'll be asked to speak on panels or give a talk or something like that. And, and as part of that, I've, you know, I, I get to have a voice, have a say in this conversation around the kind of music we program and how we find new music and, um, you know, and to share the kind of new music that I'm most interested in seeing programmed more often. So it's been that that's been really great and in addition to that i've given myself a platform to promote my own work right so uh, i also publish my own music but i'm i'm one of you know 30 something composers on the on the roster but i still try to you know publish a piece of mine once every year or two or something like that if they're good yeah, yeah. <laughs> see this is like this is a this is a really heavy topic and for people who aren't um into the music scene or anything like that uh what's understood is you are in a band and the goal of the band like the 90s goal was to get signed by a record label you know <laughs> and everybody wanted to get signed by a record label. that's how you made it that's don't how tell nirvana you, that that hey, don't tell nirvana <laughs> that even though they were signed by a major record label but it's like that was the goal and when you say something like new music um, maybe people who aren't familiar with new music, it's it's something that's new. It's something that somebody has created, something that's unique and original to their own voice. And on this podcast, we sort of have this theme of expressing and and um, expressing your own voice and creating your own voice and and celebrating other people's own like their own voice and stuff like that. And sure. for music, you have this new music is what I guess is generally thrown out there for something that's not been heard or something that's kind of experimental, I guess, and, and that sort of stuff. So when you have your, your publishing company, like, is that, is that the route to go or, or I think, okay. So, you know, when you mentioned Nirvana, I think we need to talk about Nirvana. Okay. <laughs> because so I, you know, I grew up in, in Oregon in the Pacific Northwest in the nineties and in Seattle grunge, um, that whole scene was like definitely what I, what I grew up with. And it's probably informed, um, <laughs> my, my, my take on experimental music more than anything else, you know, I mean, that would yeah, make sense. Nirvana yeah. and Soundgarden and, but also like Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails and, you know, just like all the hard rock punk metal. That was, mm -hmm. that was definitely my thing. And, um, and I think that there are misconceptions in the classical music world, like in the quote unquote art world, um, a, a, about how it's somehow different than, um, than rock 
or pop. And pop maybe is, is, is maybe its own thing because it tends to start really from like a commercial place, right? Um, and it, it tends to be produced from the top down. But most mm -hmm. of the other stuff that we're talking about, like Nirvana and all the whole Seattle grunge scene is from the bottom up, just the same way that new classical music is. And Absolutely. I think the, um, and, and, and as you were saying, Pete, like this misconception, there's a misconception, just like in the 90s bands were like, if I get on a label, I've made it. Composers think if I get a publisher, that's it i've made it and and that's not that's not the case um and as all anyone who's ever been in a band will know like that that way that you make it is by playing shows right, right. and getting a following and you don't get on a label without that mm -hmm. right is that you have to just do it from the ground up you have to put the shows together you're starting with house concerts you're making your way to you know open mics or um hopefully not pay to play situations but small clubs and people like your stuff they get on in, in the 21st century, they get on your social media, they are curious about what you're doing, they want to know more, they want to have more of what you're making because it means something to them. And, and you grow it slowly from the ground up. And yeah, certain things can, um, can, can give you like a, a boost, right? Like you can play a festival, you can win a competition, like a battle of the bands kind of thing. Um, you know, like th those things can give you a major leg up but you you have to start building uh, a following a community really what you're talking about is like building a, a community of people and cultivating that community right no one just starts a band and they're suddenly playing you know at like the staple center or something like that you know, it's always you're starting in like someone's basement and like you know with like a beer soaked floor or something and <laughs> and new music is not that different the first show um of my it's just a wine soaked had, floor <laughs> Sometimes I'm just I kidding. Wish. I wish it was a wine-soaked floor. Um, probably be well. Anyway, the first, no, the first show I ever did in New York that was of my music, there were four people in the audience. I have a lot of, um, you know, situations like that too, where it's just totally maybe it's my friend and yeah. And the point is that you just keep on doing it, you know. Um, as long as you, you, you sort of love it and believe it. And so, you know, in, in the classical music world, I really believe in, um, I really believe in like taking the sort of band model and um, finding ways for people to empower their, like uh, themselves to perform their own music. So I, I take uh, an approach, like what's often referred to as the performer composer approach, where I'm, I'm not constantly, looking for other ensembles and other groups to perform my music. This is a very common thing in, in the classical music world is like, you know, you write a choral piece or an orchestral piece or, or a string quartet and you are, you know, hat in hand bringing your score to, to rando people. And like mm -hmm. nine out of 10 times or more, 99 out of 100 times they're gonna say no because they don't know who you are. Um, but when you have a community of people and when you yourself are a performer, it's, uh, I don't have to wait for anybody to perform my stuff. I can say, oh, I've written this piece for myself. That's like where the voice and electronics thing comes from. Um, or I am part of this community of people. I'm part of this choral ensemble and I'm gonna write for them. I'm, I am a violinist and I play in a string quartet and I'm going to write for my string quartet. You know, one of the benefits of going to like a music school is is having a community of excellent performers who you make friends with. And then you say, hey, I want you to play my new oboe piece. I've written it for you or I've you know, I've, these, I've got two friends. Oh, they're dating or something. Right. OK, I'm going to write them a duet. Right. Like, I mean, it's a it's like little things like that or how you start to build um, 
build that community. The, the composer Nico Muley, who's you know like a pretty well-established uh, younger composer. He's probably my age-ish. I like to think of myself as young still. <laughs> um, and uh, and he no granted he you know he went to Juilliard, so he knew really really great performers. Mm -hmm. But he was known for um, being able to pretty quickly write new pieces for his friends. And so anytime someone had a uh, recital and they were like, oh, it'd be cool to have like a solo piece that's just for me, I'll, I'll ask Nico. And, and there's these stories about him constantly writing the, those pieces for people for their recitals. And what would happen is after they graduated, and they were trying to make names for themselves as a performer. They'd be giving a recital. Ah, and here is a violin concerto that uh, was written for me, right? And, uh, and, and, and they kind of have that, that piece. Um, and so as they became famous, right, as, as they became more well-known, they would pull out this piece by Nico Muley that was written for them. Okay, well, he's getting well-known too. And as he's getting more famous as a composer, I mean, he just did, uh, not just, but uh, I think a number of years ago, he had two commissions, one for the Metropolitan Opera and one for an opera company in Texas, I want to say. As he was writing like two operas at the same time, it was, like wild stuff. And so, you know, as he's getting more famous, then those performers are also able to say, this is a piece that Nico Muley, the famous composer, wrote for me. <laughs> yeah. right? And so they're mm -hmm. building each other up. Like if, in that way, it's, it's all about that sort of community. I mean, you, you, know, you two were telling me that you're photographers and I'm thinking, you know, I, I wonder if there's similar relationships with, with models, right? So as you become a better known photographer, these models are like, look at this, these photos that this famous photographer took of me. And similarly, if, you know, one of your models like, ends up on a runway you'd be like yeah i've got all these great photos that i used to take of them you know yeah no it's totally it's totally like like that and and it kind of leads into the next little thing that i want to talk about where it's you know for any type of art like when you say business we're always talking about essentially how to make money like the, the, at least that's what i think of it is how do i stray from from this uh, this side of the of the of the art world, I'm I'm fully immersed in creating art, and I understand that if we're talking about photography, I guess I understand the commercial side of it. You know, I want to take a photo of this model, and this model is going to promote my work, and then I'm going to say that I took a photo of that famous model, and then it goes up from there and there and there. Yeah. But if we want to stray into this business world as artists but still keep our unique voice and not necessarily do something that has been done before um you know i just think about a lot of instagram photographers you know it's like they're really successful but they're following the same um like i i guess like a like in pop in the pop world you're following the same sort of steps to create something that people are used to seeing or like used to hearing yeah like a roadmap yeah. right and well, it's like, say, okay, so we're, we're talking about two different, uh, there's a few uh, different things we're talking about, right? So we're talking right. about money, right? Money is important. And we're also talking about authenticity mm -hmm. and, um, and, and maintaining your voice, right? And what I will s say is that um, the, the artists who, it's, it's very clear, like the artists that we celebrate and the artists that we love maintain that sense of authenticity absolutely right yeah like like no one remembers the elevator music that sounds like all the other elevator music like music that's made to sound like other things is easily forgotten right mm -hmm. and but um 
when we look at it, the commercial world and we look at the pop world, the people who are the most celebrated and the most successful are also the people who are the most innovative, right? And um, I mean, I look at like, Beyonce is one of the most experimental musicians that are out there right now. She's yeah, doing it's interesting. Yeah, stuff all the time. Kendrick Lamar is doing wildly experimental stuff all the time. Yeah, and, and, and in fact, the um, the classical musicians who are figuring it out are realizing that um, that the the quote unquote pop music world is where the most innovative stuff is happening, and they are allowing themselves to be influenced by it, mm-hmm. and and they are bringing that in. Like in in, in my world of, of vocal music um yeah sure like you can you can get people to perform your choral music if it's like nice and you know sort of pop ish and melodic and friendly you know that that's fine right but then a group like room full of teeth shows up which is an octet that specializes in making uh, in, in using singing techniques from all over the world and that are um you know, they're working with these, like all these experimental sounds and just all this, all this kind of like really wild stuff. They showed up on the scene. They made like, they just barely did any concerts, made an album, and they were suddenly doing national tours to every single American Choral Directors Association conference, every single one. They were, everyone knows who they are because they didn't sound like every other choral group, right? <laughs> Whereas yeah, I don't, you know, I, I can't, if I listen to, I don't know, I'm kind of trying to think of two different choral groups. If I just listen to two different community choirs, like I can't tell, you know, yeah. they, they all sound the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this group that was like, oh, this is, and it's not just like different for the sake of different. They were people that were deeply interested in this stuff, right? They were people who had experiences singing um, Bulgarian choral music. And were like, oh, this is, this, this sound is like a whole new level of in depth of expression. And, and I think that's, such an, a, a key part of maintaining your artistic voice and bringing in um, any kind of like financial success. And this is the, the hard thing that people will like really, really, really struggle with believing, right? right? They don't believe that they have good taste and that other people will be interested in the things that they are interested in. Yeah. They, everyone thinks that they are a unique snowflake and that they have these super <laughs> weird tastes that no one else would possibly like. And so they're just gonna like make- Play along, right? Just, yeah, exactly, so like, oh yep. no, I need to do something else. I get this all the time as a publisher. People will send me their music and I'll be like, wow, this sucks, okay? And then I'll, <laughs> but I, but I, you clearly know how to write music. And uh, you know, the music is well notated. They've got like nice polyphony or whatever. And I'm like, okay, why does your, why does your choral music suck but you look like you know what you're doing? And I'll go to their website and I'll listen to their non-choral music, right? Because people have these like preconceived notions about choral music. I'll listen to their instrumental music. A lot of them will have electronic music um, and it's amazing. And I will write them back and I will say, thank you for submitting your piece. It was very nice. Um, it checked all the you, boxes. Yeah, it checked all the boxes. I'm <laughs> yeah. not gonna publish your piece. Why do you hate choral music? You have clearly have great stuff. Why do you not respect your choral music the way that you respect your other music? You clearly know what you're doing. You've got great ideas and they're not making it into your choral work. Why? You know, mm-hmm. like like why do you think we don't deserve your your good stuff, your good ideas? And and I will tell you that they I I always get responses <laughs> yeah. when I when I write these scathing emails. <laughs>
<laughs> so, so you know, I was wondering uh, how most people responded to that, yeah, or if so you use the same tone that you're explaining to us right now. I totally in the... <laughs> do. Just, like, yes. them. <laughs> I mean, but I, you know, I, I do. I will say, I tend to, um, I tend to focus on the positive, right? I, I don't say like, like, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? I say, I'll say like, you clearly have a really uh, a, a deep interest in electronic music, and your other music is highly rhythmic. I would like Why to see that. Music? Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is there's there's a missed opportunity here, and um, in nine out of ten times they will write back and they will say, "Thank you for giving me permission to write the music I wanted to write." Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a very common thing. It's like, as an emerging okay, you know, I went to a really commercially successful music college. Sure. Um, and sort of, I mean, a lot of the classes there were designed around this idea of how to be a successful musician and their idea and the way they designed it was you learn how to imitate really well um and that could be a really valid thing you know you can you know, first you learn how to imitate and then you can learn how to express your own way that's very valid building um, technical skills yeah building technical skills and that's fun like that but when when you're taught that at a private high, like highly regarded college, um, I kind of feel like that's the reason why that those people are afraid to hmm. send you the music they really want to write because they're yeah. taught this is how you be successful and it like puts a ceiling on it. Yeah, and Chris, you were talking. Um, we were talking about this last week. Is like, Chris, you had this idea. Is like, in order to be successful, you have to sell out, right? Yeah. Like, what do you think? And that's what do you... kind of like the uh, the. Um, publisher or the record label mentality that we were talking about earlier and like actually my questions i've been writing down questions here as we've been going along my first one was how does one find success without selling out as pete is saying <laughs> but then like as you're explaining yourself more i kind of got the idea of had that you are kind of like you're appealing to only what appeals to you um in the sense of your business so you kind of like promote um only what you believe in yeah and I have so great taste yeah exactly. <laughs> the core tenant of my publishing company is that i have excellent taste in i mean yeah <laughs> if you if you believe that and you you do then that definitely helps and so my next question was how are you different from sub pop if we're going along <laughs> with the, the nirvana thing yeah but if we're talking about like if sub pop is the top like what bands are aspiring to get and you were talking about at the bottom, at the ground level where you're playing garages and basements and stuff with beer soaked floors. What, what it sort of seems like to me is that your publishing company is more in the middle or if maybe the down middle where you're taking talent that you believe in because of your impeccable taste so, and so, sort of building them up. Yeah, th th this is an interesting question. So like in the classical music world and I think in the music world in general, right, right your band, your brand, your brand is your name, mm -hmm. right? And so what what do you do when you don't have an established name yet, right? Now, it's funny that you say sub-pop because sub-pop is uh, very similar to what I'm trying to accomplish here is sub-pop became the brand for those artists, mm -hmm. right? So people would go to the sub-pop label. They trusted them as curators, and they said, ah, you, um, I, 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 you're where I go to find music that I was unfamiliar with. Because of their taste. Because they had great taste. Now, yeah. the issue <laughs> is that most um, record labels and most publishers have um, 
are no longer really strong curators and they are trying to, not all, there, there, there are a number of them that are really importantly doing this kind of work, um, mm -hmm. like New Amsterdam Records and Cantaloupe Music, like they are still really, really tightly curating a certain kind of music. Um, and, and, and so I'm trying to do something similar with my publishing company, right? The tricky part is um, without Nirvana, right? W without like a killer band on my label, it's hard mm -hmm. to like, it, you know, it's hard to break three. Uh, break, break through and so similar to what you were saying or what you were saying earlier with like photographers and models or composers and performers I have a similar symbiotic relationship with the composers that I publish I am working to build a brand name that people will trust so that they will come to m my curation for new music and similarly you know, so I'm working hard to make my composers famous, right? And to, and to give a new platform to unheard voices um, the way that like SNL does for comedians, right? Like uh, SNL is another good example of like, you don't know any of the comedians on there, but you learn about them through SNL and then they become famous. And the more they become famous, the more SNL becomes famous, mm -hmm. right? And, and so I'm trying to do the same thing. It's like with my composers, I'm trying to make them famous. As they become well-known, people are like, oh, you're on that publishing label oh okay i see like i'm gonna i you know i'm, I'm gonna start going to them for more music like yours for instance mm -hmm. um so i think that's that there is like a it's helpful to find curators that can help you along the way like that and there are a lot i mean especially in the 21st century there are way more independent labels than there ever have been before um the major record labels are, are not the way forward for most bands right it's it's totally the indie labels it's totally social media followings you know going and, viral totally yeah, yeah yeah i mean and again going viral is a um is a sudden boost right mm -hmm. but i have friends who have like one really big viral video but that's it. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like the viral video is about novelty, right? And it's right. not, and it doesn't necessarily say that like, oh, like I came here for that like dopamine hit of some novelty, but mm. I'm not necessarily um, coming back because I want a whole album of, of this. Yeah, that's interesting because I have a different take on that because we were mentioning like Beyonce and like Kendrick Lamar and Nirvana. And you're saying that you're waiting for kind of your nirvana your like thing that will like catapult you into like the public eye or whatever and i feel like a lot of these examples had sort of like a pre or maybe not pre-viral but like a viral experience like kendrick lamar did that diss track where he dissed like literally everybody in the <laughs> rap world at the same time and nirvana had like this weird like 90s quintessential like grunge sound that just like catapulted them in and Beyonce was part of Destiny's Child I'm not sure if that's that's not really a viral thing that's more of just like building like on top of something else yeah well, um, I think like what you're saying with like the Kendrick Lamar diss track that got him a lot of recognition okay but then you know like he survived that diss, diss track right <laughs> because he had a ton yeah, the, of really great work behind him and people were like true. who's yeah. this joker Oh, oh, actually, he's quite, he's quite good. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, like, especially ago, in the rap the world. the Pulitzer Prize, mm -hmm. you know? Like, yeah. the Pulitzer Prize classical music gave it to Kendrick Lamar because he's the man. Yeah. yeah. You know? There's so. plenty of rappers who do a lot of diss, tra uh, diss tracks and go viral, and then I have no idea who they are after that, totally. or a lot of people don't. Yeah. But um, thank, you, thank you for responding to my take and informing <laughs> me, because, like, when we were talking about all this stuff, I was like, yeah, we'll, like, 
but they just went viral. But like, <laughs> not the case, of course. But, so, and, and, and so here's the thing, like, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of why I think this, like this moment of authenticity is so important, right? Like when I was living in New York and I was working with this new music group there, every, once a year I would write a new piece for them. And, you know, they had certain kinds of more conservative-ish tastes in a way, like there's a certain kind of East Coast choral music that's sort of informed by European new music tradition. Um, and and I was writing stuff that was, you know, like in, in their kind of vein. Um, and then, I don't know, like I was, I just, I had an idea for a new piece that sort of combined my love of heavy metal and my love of choral music. And I said, I'm just gonna do this. going to really care what they say because I because I wish there was more music like this and that, I think that's 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 the trick right and this is um, I think this is the core of like the core idea that I want to bring here is that arts and entrepreneurship cannot be separated they cannot be because they like at, at their best they both have the same mentality which is what do I wish existed in the world Right. Okay. And, and yeah. a business, a successful business is one that says that looks at the world and says, what does the world need that I wish was there that I can provide? Supply and demand. Yes, right? totally. It's yeah. totally supply and demand. <laughs> and, and in the art world, it's the same thing. Is, uh, you know, <laughs> so I was listening to groups like Roomful of Teeth. And it, when I was at CalArts, I was um, listening to a lot of artists like Meredith Monk and Toby Twining and people who used the voice as an instrument and, and, and dealt with the sound and timbre of the voice. And, you know, and we weren't doing music like that with this group in, in C4, but this is the music I really loved. And because we weren't doing it there, I wasn't writing it. But I just said, screw it. And I wrote a piece that was like, yeah, it just got this like biting and yelling and all this other kind of stuff. And um, that is by far my most popular piece. I wrote that piece and it, it, it's, you know, it's been toured um, by mm -hmm. collegiate ensembles across the country, wow. dozens of groups. Of, and, and that's been exciting for me. I was like, whoa, the, fi the, the time that I finally wrote a choral piece that, I, I, you know, of course, I have to say it was informed by, um, Pete, what you were saying, like what I was taught at school and what I've learned in my uh, professional life, right? What a choral piece needs to contain mm -hmm. and the parameters I need to work within so that choirs are able to perform it, right? Like, so, you know, for music nerds out there, they'll understand this, right? If it's, I, I wrote a piece that's in four parts, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, with minimal divisi, whereas a lot of new music is in like eight or 16 parts, and that makes it a lot more difficult. I said, I believe I can write an interesting and engaging piece that doesn't compromise my vision of the work in four parts, 
It's going to be five to six minutes long because that seems to be like the sweet spot for a lot of um, choral pieces. So in working with those, those parameters, I'm going to make something highly rhythmic that's riff based that feels like, you know, heavy metal machine gun guitar. And, and, and because it hit all of those marks, it was authentic to me and it fit within the parameters of what's workable in my field. It gets performed a lot from professional groups to high school choirs to colleges. And when groups perform it, um, be, you know, because they, they really loved a piece of mine that I really believed in and was authentic to the things that I wanted to see more of in the world, I was encouraged to go to those groups and say, I'm so glad you like my piece. Would you be interested in me writing a piece for your group? Right? And that, that conversation has led to many commissions. Right? right. And that's how I've started to like build. And again, it's all about those relationships. Like I've already got one level of relationship. They, they, they want to perform my music. Great. So I call them and I say, oh, would you like me to do a Skype session or if they're local to come visit your choir and like come to a rehearsal, build a relationship. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, are you interested in me also, not just my music, but me as a human being? I'm an interesting guy. I talk a lot, right? <laughs> I use lots of wild hand gestures. Perfect okay. for podcasts. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I say, you know, and so like, I'll come and I'll, I'll do a talk for free. Through that relationship, I say, would you like me to write a piece for your group? Oh, we don't have any money. Okay, well, let's talk about the ways that I can write a piece that would compensate me in a way that I think is fair through money or other sorts of value adds, right? I mean, because of this, I've, um, I, I did a, a three-day residency with a university in Oklahoma where I went and I, uh, the, I wrote a piece for them. They performed it, but I also gave like a series of lectures and did a solo voice and electronics recital. Uh, I'm doing a piece for a, a group in Chicago. I mean, it's just, you know, like all because they performed a piece of mine first. Right. Right? This, yeah, this is like, this is really uplifting for a lot of, artist who um you know i guess going back to the going to college a commercial like highly successful commercial college is like you're taught certain things this is how you're going to be successful and we just spent a good 20 minutes talking about how uh, I, I really loved your quote you know make things that you think the world needs and that's something yeah. that's really powerful um especially for what I'm hoping, you know, any, any artist, you know, any, anybody who's trying to do anything like, you know, create something that, that, that speaks to you and that you think the world needs. I really love that. Absolutely. But when we're talking about, but when we're talking about uh, trying to make money, I guess, and like, again, I associate business with making money. How do you then sort of tear down the barrier of, hmm, I'm making what I think I like and my friends like and my mom likes because my mom likes everything that I'd make <laughs> like I'm making these things that I like and that I really enjoy but insert businessman here says that you have to make it more marketable you have to make it this you have to make it this and then we'll talk to this and then maybe right. you can make money from that because I guess sure. let's face it if you if you spend X amount of hours and X stands for a lot of hours <laughs> on creating something or practicing or, you know, we have to buy, you know, symbols or whatever like that, or cameras and stuff like that. 
uh, and then of course rent and all these things like that if if you have to spend x amount of numbers on your craft and your art and stuff like that and then now you have to think about being marketable or being <laughs> this or this or that you know it's like how do you how do you deal with that like how do you That's not great. let how does that it's not a, just die you know it's, it's it's a super great question i firmly believe in the day job firmly 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 believe in the day job and um and i'll tell you why i believe in the day job is because um there is a like in the beginning oftentimes there is a disjunct between what is valuable and what makes money right right and um and if i am only chasing what makes money then i won't necessarily get to create what's valuable and um and the reason that there's a disjunct is because the people who find value in your work, in your authentic work, it takes time for them to find you, right? So again, in the 21st century, where we have newsletters and we have social media, if we are unapologetically creating not just our, the, our authentic work, right, but our, the authentic work of ours that we feel like the world needs, right? And, right. and, and those, are, those are, there's an overlap there. There's a, there's a Venn diagram that is somewhere between what I love to create, what I am good at creating, and what the world needs me to create, right? And it's where those three things overlap, right? That if you keep on just putting that stuff out there, then the people who want it and who need it will find you. And that's the trick, right? So like every month I send out my newsletter and I'm sending all this, like just these like crazy videos of me doing like wild vo voice and electronic shit. I'm just like making all kinds of weird noise, right? And, um, and like every month I send it out, people unsubscribe. Yeah, every for month, sure. yeah. right? They unfollow me, they unsubscribe. That is okay. Those people weren't my audience, right? right? My mom loves my stuff. She <laughs> can be my audience for, forever. My aunts, do not love my stuff. They right. stay on my newsletter because they are polite. Okay. <laughs> um, but they write to me and they're like, couldn't you just write a nice song with a melody once? <laughs> they write to me, they tell me this stuff. And I say, Auntie, I love you, but no, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my, like, my weird shit. I'm going to do the stuff that, that I love because, and, and especially the stuff that I believe that the world really does need, right? Like w w when I thought about, okay, uh, I need to make it more marketable for my coral, for my heavy metal coral piece. That meant writing it in four parts with no Devisi so that more people could perform it. It did not mean don't use the weird noises. Don't, uh, does, it didn't mean remove the screechy section. The screechy mm -hmm. section is the part that people like the most. They're all, those are always the best parts. That's, that's the part that people <laughs> like the most. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, did, I did a show, uh, I work with a choreographer and we create these, what we call dance operas. They're like, you know, evening length pieces, sometimes with like wordless music and dance, and they sort of tell narratives through movement and, and, and music. Uh, I had a reviewer see it once and say it was an hour of theater warm-ups and screeching. <laughs> okay, and then I had another person come up to me and say that was one of the most meaningful and spiritual experiences I've had. And uh, the performers, in fact, actually just two weeks ago, I'm, I'm thinking of a show from eight years ago, two weeks ago, a performer out of nowhere emailed me and said, hey, I was thinking about this, this experience and being in your show, and I just want you to know it was one of the most important and special artistic experiences of my early career right. uh, she's my audience mm -hmm. right i said thank you so much it's so great to hear from you if you'd like to know more about what i'm doing i'll sign you up for my <laughs> newsletter <laughs> 
And she said, great. Oh, my God, you have a newsletter. I can't wait to hear more about it. I just moved to L.A. I want to come and see your stuff. Yeah. She's she is who I write for. Mm -hmm. Right. She is who I'm putting the stuff out for. It's for her. It's not for the people who wish I would just write a nice song. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And yeah. given enough time, the people who find value in that will put money towards it. Right. <laughs> the people who said that was a, such an important and spiritual experience are the people who are going to buy my album. They're the people who are going to buy tickets to the show. Right. And that's why I believe in the day job. Yeah, that took me a while to learn. As long you, you know? must have a day yeah. job. Day jobs are so important. <laughs> yeah. Because when I am financially free, I can create this stuff. Right. And then I can start to write grants or whatever. Like right now, this oratorio I'm writing this talk about um, a thing that matches this entire like Venn diagram of stuff. Right. It's a it's a piece that is a setting of a medieval Sufi text called the Conference of the Birds that is about the soul's search for truth. It is uh, an epic poem that, that dictates the spiritual journey. Okay, cool. For me, I, uh, Sufism, the Sufi philosophy is a huge part of my life. I'm a member of a Sufi house. It is a central part of like my, my spiritual practice. And I find expression in my spiritual practice through my music. That's how I got into music, was because it's part of my spiritual practice, right? For other people, it might be like a political expression. It is not a political expression for me. I cannot bring art and politics together. I find I, uh, my essay writing is how I deal with my political interests and, and how I get my ideas out. But for me, if, if my art making is not a religious practice, then it's, it's worthless to me. I can't, it, it does nothing for me. And it won't be good. Mm. Right. So here's this piece. Someone has asked me to write it. I'm like, yes, I'm going to do this and I'm going to combine it with my interest in acapella music where I'm using the voices instrument and I'm not going to use an orchestra for this oratorio. It's all going to be vocal sounds and great. OK, well, you know, there's a whole world of people that are really interested in bridging the gap between the Islamic world right and mysticism and the western world there are choirs i'm making it marketable i'm making it so that a good community choir or a college choir can write this can perform this piece right um and i'm, I'm 100 percent not compromising my vision for it at all right and right. because of all these things that are coming together i mean I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, like, I just got into the second round for a $60,000 grant to support the creation and production of this work, right? Like, um, when I start to share this work with people about what I'm, what I'm creating, um, people want in on it. Like, they want to perform it themselves. They want their groups to do it. I just had um, a guy who just started his doctorate in choral conducting at Yale, and he was like, I want to learn more about this piece. Like, I want to maybe, I want to do it for my for my doctoral recital, right? Like there's this, there's this in between, the, this, this piece for me is hitting that middle of that Venn diagram between what I really believe in needs to happen in the world. What I love, which is, um, you know, spiritual based music and what I'm good at, which is, um, you know, which is writing vocal music. I've gotten really good at it over the right. years as a singer myself and, you know, and, and, and focusing on this music with like voices, instrument and dealing with sound. It has, it has hit that, that special mark. And I believe it's going to make a lot of money because of it. Yeah. You know, like I have, I, I think in the next, over the next two or three years, this piece is going to be something that carries um, my career in, in major ways. I think it's going to get grants. I think I'm going to be able to sell the score to a lot of groups that want to perform it. You know, like um, the, the money 
will come from building a, uh, a body of work and a reputation of, uh, for work that hits those three things. Right. It's and those three things, you, it's what you're great at and it's what, and it's what the world needs. Right. Yeah. And that's, cool. and this is not like, this is not some like brilliant concept I've come up with. This is a Japanese <laughs> concept called, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Ikigai. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or they, right. and, and this Ikagai. is like a, Ikagai. Thank you. Hello, Pete here. I just wanted to interrupt the conversation uh, just for a slight little correction. Uh, Fahed was correct. The pronunciation is Ikigai. I had said it was Ikigai, uh, but I don't want to mislead you all. It is Ikigai. Thank you. Back to the episode. Um, and, uh, and, and this is something that I see that they say like our Ikigai sort of means like our purpose. Right, our, our great purpose mm-hmm. that um, that we find that thing that is what we love, what we're good at, what the world needs, and what makes money. And, and maybe that's a small that's a that's a small number of things, but that's mm-hmm. that's our calling, right? And I really believe that if you find those three things, and you are willing to the, the first three things that aren't money, and you are willing to ask people to support and sustain that work, the money will come. Yeah, you know, I I've been sort of shitting on this this college that I went to inadvertently, I guess, but <laughs> that's the reality of it. But at the same college that I went to, there was a very famous guitarist who did a seminar there. And he didn't say much. Um he spent most of the time just shredding. Um <laughs> but what he did say, he said, "Hi, you know, blah blah blah." Um one of the things that he said, it stuck, stuck out to me, and this was like week two of my first semester at this college. Um, I believe it was Steve Vai. I don't know if you know who Steve Vai is. Oh, yeah. The guitar player? Yeah. 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 I know Steve Vai. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Um, it was one of those guys. It was either Steve Vai or Yngwie Malmsteen or like one of those kind of guitarists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, he just, he, he basically said, because somebody had a question like, oh, you know, how do I become successful? You know, and this kid's idea of success is making money, you know, and this guitarist, I'm pretty sure it was Steve I was just saying like, just keep on doing you and eventually people will come around. Sure. And if it doesn't make money, that's okay. You can still do you and be like a happy person with a great day job. Yeah. You know, <laughs> with a great day job. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, and like, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Like you don't need to make money as an artist or to be an artist at all. I kind of found but, out that like when I started relieving my, my mind from thinking that I had to make money as an artist and just sticking with this like day job type thing and, and uh, that's sort of what I'm striving towards now is just getting sure. getting a day job that I really love. Yeah. That way, when I come home, I can forget that day job <laughs> totally. and then just start straight on. Yes. With and my I, art. One of the um, w- w- one of the big traps I see a lot of musicians do is that they get day jobs that are sort of their art. But not yeah. Oh, you know, and, and, and th- that's a trap. I think it, it, it scratches the itch. Um, mm-hmm. And it scratches the itch enough that you go home and then you're like, oh, I don't really want to make art because I kind of scratch the itch enough. Yes. Whereas like if you're a barista, I was a barista for many years, still love coffee and making coffee. Um, you know, then like I go home and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to do some singing. I'm ready to go to rehearsal, right? But if yeah. I've been teaching singing for five hours, like I don't yeah. want to go to rehearsal yeah. for three more hours. Like my voice is shot, you know what I mean? 
and, and so the, and so that's to say that like you don't need to make money to be an artist and plenty there's plenty of artists that don't make money for a long time they just keep on doing their thing and it's still eventually you know like one fades out and one fades in you know uh, the um in the classical music world charles ives was an accountant you know and he would just oh he would write these like big symphonies and they were really wild they were like in two different keys and he would like throw in american folk tunes and just like really wild crazy shit you know and it was like when he was 50 or something 55 that his people were like this is great and um you know the music world sort of caught up with his aesthetic and he became super famous we don't know him for his accounting work he's known as one of the great american composers but i, I will say this if if um, one of the things that will hasten that process of making money through your art is going back to this question of what does the world need that I can produce? You know, and, 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 and if you're only focusing on what the world needs, right, that even if you can produce it well, but you don't love it, like it will become soulless, right? Like it will just right. become a job. It won't become- It'll check boxes. It'll check boxes, you know, that's fine. And there's plenty of stuff that like, you know, I mean, yeah, just, 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 just as an example, there, there, I think there are plenty of products like that, that, you know, uh, the world, I guess, needs, um, you know, like plastic manufacturing that's inexpensive and fast, right? Like, cool. Mm -hmm. Like I can, I could totally do that. I could, I could, I could. Now I can you know, store my leftovers. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, but yeah, the world needs Tupperware. That's actually yeah. a great example. Like, but the world totally needs Tupperware. It does. It needs like storage containers and that's fine. Like, and, and if I had the right connections to the right factories and the right pipeline to get quality Tupperware into the American homes, cool. I could make tons of money. Right. right. Do I, am I passionate about Tupperware? No. Okay. <laughs> but I will say like, I've got, I've got family members who are deeply passionate. Like, and I mean this, like, and sincerely, they're deeply passionate about taking care and providing for their family. Right. And th that's like what they care about. And, uh, and so they've yeah. gone into investment banking or something and they make a lot of money. And do they care about investment banking? Not particularly. They enjoy it. Like th th they enjoy it fine. They're good at it. And it makes a lot of money. But it fulfills, and this is, this is the key thing that will bring your art closer to making money faster. It fills their mission, right? They have a mission and their mission is to provide for their family. And, and I think that too many artists focus on the pleasure of making art and what feels good and what they like to do and not what their art accomplishes for other people. Yeah. The, I would, arts I would agree. Are a, the arts are a service. None of us got into the arts, and, and I will, I'm going to make a bold claim, okay? None of the, us got into the arts because we loved to do it. We all got into the arts because we were deeply affected by the arts. Right. First. That's, the That's first an art thing take. That that's an art take. And that's the damn truth, right? When I was in high school, I would, I would go, I was in like the, the beginning band and I really wanted to be in the advanced band and I wasn't like good enough. All right, and so I was like, okay, I have to practice and it's fine. Um, but I would go and I would just listen to them, right? And I was so moved by the music that they were performing. It was so great, you know, like the 90s grunge. Like I just loved that music. I would put it on repeat. And I was deeply moved by music and I got into the game because I wanted to help other people have that experience. Right. Right. Yeah, I can agree that with was, that for sure. 
that was a huge part. And when I lose sight of that, something is lost in my art, right? So yes, when I'm creating this, this oratorio, yes, it's a deeply, like, it's part of my spiritual practice. And I feel like I am channeling something important when it's at its best. But I'm also remembering that this will be an experience. Like for me, my audience are, is the performers. The people who are performing this piece will get to know this piece as intimately as I am. And I am crafting an experience for them that will be as equally spiritual for them as it is for me. And when I remember that, the piece gets written. Like right. when I think, oh, there is an experience that I have the opportunity to provide people. That's my motivation to go to the piano and put pen to paper. That's what I remember. When, when I, I, you know, I work at a church. It's a one. It's a very common thing for singers to do, right? We work in like a church choir, and like during the pandemic, we are doing these virtual choir pieces, and it's just like a monstrous experience. I just like I cannot say that I enjoy it. I spend hours every week in a room by myself recording a tenor line to a choral piece without hearing all the other parts. It's not it doesn't sound like music. It's just you know whatever. Um, but then on Sunday, when I go and I watch the virtual service and I see the comments showing up in the video and, uh, you know, and, and our choir members call me up or send me an email and say, thank you for your piece or for your performance. It was so meaningful to me. This weekly church experience is an anchor for me during this pandemic. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to record that piece. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like it's, um, I, it, I, you know, saying it out loud, like I get, I get very emotional about it. You know, like that's I'm how really... I am with the uh, photography. You Absolutely. Know, like I, I have like a lot of uh, photos and books that people haven't seen, but the right people have seen it. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like I know I made, I know I made this book right here for a very specific audience, mm -hmm. and when I gave it to them, they all cried. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or like oh. and i cried and it was just like this is something you know finding finding that is very very much the reason why i got into art you know and it's and it's Absolutely. very it's very easy for us to think like well art makes me happy you know it's like oh i i like playing the drums because it makes me happy sure but when you really dive into it I like playing the drums because of other people watching totally. or listening or experiencing or playing along with you <laughs> or playing along or playing yes. with me, you know, and, yes. and stuff like that. And it's yeah, and it arts, is very much like that. The arts are a service. And when we forget that they're a service, then there's, there's no reason for us to compensate us for our work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, you know, when they're a service, then, then we make clear that they are a value. They are of value. And, and then when it's, when they're clearly of value, it's much easier to ask for support in continuing to make something that's of value to a community or to a group of people. What and, do you and, think? Oh, sorry. Didn't say. Yeah. What, what did you, what, uh, what do you think, Chris? Um, I have been like writing stuff all along and the thing, like I really like art as a service, um, but I think there's a big disconnect between performative arts and sort of like less performative arts, like visual arts or like, art that you make by yourself and maybe present in a gallery. So what would you say to somebody who's not on the performative arts side of things that wants to sort of like make art a service? Um, I think, I think Basquiat would disagree with you. 
right? That I, okay. I think actually that he, that he probably combined visual art and performative art in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. But he was constantly making art, street art and everything, graffiti art, you know, I think because he saw it as a, as a public service, right? He's like, I'm going to beautify my, my city um, mm -hmm. in, in, in these different ways. Or like, I'm thinking of, of like the abstract expressionists, you know, Rothko and, um, and Pollock, their art, Frida Kahlo, right? Like they were creating things that like, there's something important that needs to be expressed here and that people will connect with, right? It's that, it's that, it's that emotional, spiritual, ideological connection that they hear, that, that, that they, not that they hear, sorry, I'm a musician, but that they experience when they see the work. Um, and I think that them understanding that, right? Like Pollock would make these splatter paintings and I love the stories about how he would throw the bad ones away. Right. Like I love the idea that there were bad splatter paintings and, um, and, and it's clear to me, he was like, no, this wasn't the thing. I did not connect with my subconscious, my unconscious and with nature. And, and it didn't express itself on, on the canvas in the right way. And, and without that, people will know that it was inauthentic and they won't connect with it. You know, Interesting. And so yeah. and when I go to a gallery, when I go to a museum and I see a giant Rothko, I mean, there, there are plenty of stories of people being turning a corner and seeing that Rothko and like, just breaking out into tears, yeah. you know, like the, mm -hmm. there is something where it's, they've tried to capture something really Im important. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. Maybe it's, it might be more overt with the, with the performing arts, but I don't know when I see Basquiat's stuff, like I am so like it, it, it makes me alive. You know, he's, he's the first artist that I've ever seen their work. And I said, you know, one day my ambition is to like have a Basquiat in my house. You know? like, would just, you, um, I don't, I don't know why it speaks to me like that, but it just, it just do. Would you agree with, um, with anything that's presented is, is performed? You know, like oh, if you have a, I've never heard that expression. If it's like, uh, I don't know, if you present something in a way that is usually like that is, I guess, if you present something, is it performative? Yeah, that's. I guess that's as much as I can dive into that. I, I, yeah, I guess I don't see. I don't. I guess I don't see the. Um, and I'm sorry, we've gone so far away from business, but I, I, but I'm, <laughs> I'm okay. down to just like philosophize about art. Yeah. I think I don't. I don't see. Um, you know, static and performative art is, is terribly different in that way. What the, they all have this core commonality, which is that we have put a frame around them, and um, and decided that they're art. Right. And, and so for me, I think like, you know, the, the this idea of like I'm presenting a thing or I'm performing a thing like what makes performance separate than me just talking to you is that we've put a frame around it and said, pay attention to this as art. Right. And as long or a as stage underneath. Yeah, or a stage or, underneath, right? Yeah, and, a and studio. As long as, as, long yeah. as that is happening, as long as we have said, pay attention for a moment, this is art, right? Then there's this shift that happens in the human mind and we say, oh, okay, this is this right. Is special. Right, like this is mm -hmm. this is not the mundane. This is the artistic. This is the special. <laughs> it's the sacred. Right, like uh, the, the way that we treat sacred spaces is exactly the same way. Concert halls and churches are really no different. We enter. We are hushed. You know, you don't tell dirty jokes. You don't speak too loudly. <laughs> right. This is a special place where special things happen, um, and because we've decided as such. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's like I guess what I'm sort of. I'm trying to get people again, like. The, the main goal of this podcast is to promote 
individual's voice and to make people understand that every i guess not make people uh suggest people to start art or continue with their art encourage there we go yeah so when i say is uh is presenting uh if you present something is that a, a way to perform you know when i say something like that it's like um if i guess my first example is if said artist chris like uh you were saying just draws something and doesn't mean to uh i don't know whatever if if the if the artist draws something and then it's put on display and then someone sees it i i kind of think that that's still a performance you know it has an audience it has an audience someone I looks at it someone reacts to it yeah, and then again say, i think oh, the audience is the is the audience is the key part right i mean right. this was this was the, the the big idea in like the 50s and 60s with duchamp and john cage and you know and and like uh composers like david rosenboom talk about this a lot too like it's it's the listener it's the it's the observer that makes the art right right it is right. it is a frame of mind it is that it's that individually we have decided this is music this is noise right but then we you know in, in like our contemporary ear no this noise is actually becoming music now oh that's interesting okay yeah I've, i've put a yeah. different frame around it and so i do think in in that way like pete what you're saying it's it needs an audience And, it, and yeah. if it's got an audience, then sure, it's performative. Without yeah. art, without an audience, isn't art? There's no one to decide that it has been elevated to the realm of the special. Yeah. The artist, the artist can be an audience. Him, uh, him or herself, the or themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. I definitely consider my performers a core audience of of mm. of my music. You know, they're the ones that are going to spend the most time with it. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. To extend on it, on what I was saying is. You know, I also um, have a background in um, culinary arts, quote unquote, mm -hmm. I guess. And when you have somebody, I guess we're still talking about business right now, actually, going back about like you were saying, oh, I'm sorry, we're straying from business. <laughs> But we're talking about one third of the ikigai, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about one third, creating something that you want to create or finding what you are meant to create or finding what the world creates right yeah. or what the world needs right yeah supply and demand. yeah demand. <laughs> so let's go back to what you were saying about somebody's passion and what they want to make or their passion or anything like that is to provide for their their family yeah so now in order to provide for your family you have to put dinner on or you have to make dinner put food on the table right sure So I guess what I'm trying to say is, and this is something that I stressed a lot when I was teaching people how to cook, because I did about three years of teaching people how to cook and it was very difficult, <laughs> but I would stress the fact that every time you cook, think about the, the flavor that you can't, you know, taste. And that's like what you're seeing, what people see, totally. you know, when you put a, when you put a, a piece of food on the on the plate and you give it to somebody you're presenting it now i believe that to be a performance you know i believe that to sure. be some I... type of performance somebody's looking at it and someone's saying i want to eat this or i don't want to eat this and totally. if yeah, an you underrated performance too i will say yeah an unappreciated performance but it's it's i totally agree and it's one of those things that like often yeah it is very under appreciated and underrated because often it's just thought of as a necessity right and it's not something that we're all like 
I mean, I guess now, I guess with the Food Network and I have like a lot of, we can do a whole episode on the Food Network, but like, <laughs> there's like this performative aspect to food now, but like in the home, in in the per, the providing aspect, like, I think people should always, well, and, and you know, what you're saying feel so like that. Is, 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 uh, I, I love the idea too of like thinking of your audience, right? So it's right. like, yeah, this isn't just like, sustenance this isn't just to like get you through another day of living um it's about the experience that you're going to provide I, I have a friend um who lives in in, in la quincy sura smith uh who runs his own podcast called asian americana i'm going to plug it for nice him. yeah um, <laughs> and uh and he and he does this dinner club thing called jeet kundo or eat kundo sorry oh, i was kundo. like oh yeah <laughs> and uh um and what he does which i really love is that when he, before he invites people over he sends a survey out to them and he has all these questions about their childhood foods and a favorite associations that they have. And then he creates these like fusion dishes that are about creating a certain um, emotional experience as well mm -hmm. as like a, a taste and culinary experience, right? But he also wants to tap into the emotional experience that people have from childhood foods and things like that. And it's the ratatouille love, moment. Yeah, and it's it mm -hmm. totally, totally ratatouille. <laughs> yeah. And um, my, or my, my other favorite, uh, food movie um a hundred foot journey it's like by far my foot. favorite movie. 500 foot journey i love that yeah, yeah it's one of my favorite movie about food yeah. um and you know and, and i and i think about this a, a lot too like I, you know I, I love to cook and it's all about like what is the ex this experience i'm going to bring people you know so um and when you take it to that extra step right that's like when we start to fulfill more of that ikigai ikigai <laughs> you know um so, I mean, you know, and I will say, like, uh, what, what I was reading and, and learning about Ikagai, I, um, I loved the idea that it wasn't something that you just find and then you're good, right? It's like, it's a constant living, moving beast. It's something that will change through your life and will change with uh, the world that you find yourself, the community that you find yourself. What, and and, and that's, that was a big part of, like, my publishing company, too, right? was um, not only did the composers need an advocate, but like when I started becoming a conductor, I was having a hard time finding the kind of music I wanted to perform. Right. The websites that existed, the, the, they didn't have good search filters, they weren't tightly curated. And so I basically said, let me create a, a resource for people like me who are looking for what I am looking for, right? And because of that, um, it's the people who, again, like my audience, the people who are looking for that kind of stuff, they are very grateful. And they write to my publishing company and they say, thank you so much for curating this music. I'm so grateful to have access to this kind of stuff. I'd never heard about it before. I'm really excited about it, right? Yeah, like people, we talked people... about this in the in the last episode, actually, Chris um, and Fahed, you know, um, this, this is a very, I guess this is, this could be the start of a topic that is going to come in, in every single episode that we do with all these interviews. Last episode, uh, what was talked about was if you don't have a community or you can't find one, create one. And in this episode, Fahed's talking about if you can't find Absolutely. somebody to publish your work or what you believe in or what you think is or your friend's work that you love or anything like that, create your own damn publishing company. Do it yourself. Yeah. Do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thread. Totally. Thanks for pointing that out, Pete. Yeah. What do you... Uh, do you, I, I saw you writing some notes down, Chris. What do you, what do you got? Oh, um, mine are more for the end. Oh, but okay. um, if anybody wants to talk about anything else before that, well, I was just, just say, I mean, just to riff on that idea around community. I mean, I, that's 
like that's been my entire career like any successes i've had have been because of that and and i, I and i want to reinforce this idea of being service uh, in service right so for years i i was working in service to these different new music choral ensembles i was volunteering as an administrator or you know i, I mean writing and contributing my music as a form of service like i i have to believe that as an artist i have to believe that my my art has value and that i'm not the only person who's going to like it right um and um and and through these years of being at service and you know like being generous with whatever i have just as people have been generous with with me you know whenever i have an opportunity trying to lift people up and and whatever giving them a platform giving them a voice that when um i was working on on raising money for this oratorio that I'm writing, my first really big choral piece like this. Um, and I, start, I started reaching out to people who I'd worked with over the years, and I said, hey, I'm working on this project, and I wonder if you would be interested in, I don't know, co-commissioning it or helping me workshop it or something. And across the board, every single person I approached said, absolutely, I would love to help. Mm. You know, yeah. you're a friend. Like, you have, you have made like contributions you've helped me in the past of course i would want to help you right right and and um and it was this really interesting reckoning you know of the last like 10 years of my career to have all these people say like yeah i, I would happily be part of what you're with, with what you're doing um and you know i don't know i just it just suddenly realized that all those years of of fulfilling the mission that I believed in in different ways, right? Of advocating, like my my personal mission is to advocate for adventurous and innovative vocal music, right? And I've approached that from all these different ways. And in doing that, like I've realized that there was a whole network of people who also cared about that mission, and uh, and as they got into positions of leadership where they had the opportunity to program music. They were on board. Great. I would love to help you. Thank you. Yes. And um, and all because of that community, you know, that I didn't even realize was there. And then right. I look back and I see this path that I've been walking for the last 10 years and it's all been laid out before me. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 40. I'm like, yes, I'm finally getting commissions that are like paying a decent rate. And I might might actually have like a big piece that lots of people want to perform. Like, <laughs> OK, it's taken me this long, but like it's been a it's been a whole it's a joy. It's been a joy the entire way. Mm -hmm. Right. I've never once not been fulfilling this mission. Right. Not once have I have I ever walked off this path. I've always been advocating for this new and adventurous and innovative music. And um, and, and now it's just becoming easier and easier as time goes on. And that's really right. Fun. Yeah. As the community builds and stuff. You know, nice. I kind of want to I kind of oh. want to before we get to Chris, before we get to your last things, Chris, that you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. I just want to say something really quick as an artist. I've found that a lot of my friends or myself, um, when we try to be uh, nice to ourselves and unique and listen to like what we want to create, we immediately write off success because that can mean a lot of things. You know, that means that we now have to, we've created in our minds all the, the negative outcomes that could happen. We're unsuccessful. People don't like it. I'm not going to have any friends. Um, people are going to laugh at me and, and all those sort of things when we're being unique. Right. Um, and so for that, when we have those not like negative thoughts and we're not nice to ourselves, we immediately start to just keep it to ourselves. And then it's like, mm -hmm. 
well, um, you know, I, I don't want to go to that jam session or I don't want to like sell these zines or on the flip side, it's like, I uh, here I have my zine. It's like nothing, you know, don't worry about it. You know, you don't have to pay for it or yeah, here's my CD that I made. Don't worry about it. Oh, it's just, you know, whatever. Um, it's just something that I did, you know, and that is like downplaying a, it. Yeah. And that's a front. And that's something that when talking it's to total, you it's ahead, so, it's, it's not just a front. It's, it's inauthentic. Yeah. It's like total. Yes. You're lying to the people that you care about. Yeah. And like, that sucks. Like don't lie to your friends. Yeah. Don't lie to your people. Well, that's like, the thing that I, I made an amazing piece and you're going to love it. Check this yeah. out. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's really. It's, so like, it's if you've written something that sucks, like, and you know it, like, don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is, okay. he's like, wagging his finger right now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is, is but had when 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 we're talking this whole, you know, all the talks that we've had before or in this podcast, there's one thing that's very apparent: is you're not afraid of your music or what you create. You are. I guess to quote you unapologetic about it. Like this is my stuff and this is what I want to do. And, and it's very hard for a lot of artists who I guess artists, you know, I can only speak for myself, but like I tend to sort of be a little hesitant, like kind of like refrain from in, in posing or like, you know, giving things out and stuff like that. And, okay. You know, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Is real like, talk. Real talk. Oh, yeah. real talk. Yeah, we need this real talk. <laughs> okay, okay. So, like, the the um, I, I appreciate I, I appreciate what you're what you're saying about um, you know, my, my relationship with my art and and the real talk is is that like I'm also like I also have crushing insecurity about it, right? Right. Like as as we all do, and I and I and there are plenty of times that I'm super bashful about it, and there's something that I hold on to that helps. There's two things. One, I remember that we talk about it as an artistic practice. <laughs> in right. that I'm creating and putting stuff out there as practice. And and I try to resist the notion that if I make something bad, that will be the end of people liking me forever. <laughs> right. That I can make bad things, and then the next thing I can make can be good, and they can both exist, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Right? right. Um, I compare myself all the time to other people, right? Like, you know... Pete is married to like the best singer I know. Okay. And, and like, you know, and it's like hard to like work with her sometimes because I always have to compare myself to the best singer that I've ever met. Right. And, um, and, and so like, that's, you know, like that's tough. Right. And, and, and I always think like, Oh, I'm not good enough and I'm not going to get any better. It's a practice. I'm not going to get any better unless I keep on putting that stuff out there. Or maybe I need to just do the stuff that I know I can do well and that I love to do, you know? And, and like, I'm not trying to do, I'm not trying to sound like Pavarotti. If I try to sound like Pavarotti, maybe I'll sound like junk, right? But if I try to sound like me, maybe I'll sound great, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. and, and Ira Glass says this better than everybody, right? Uh, Ira Glass, the writer, he says, um, like, even like I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase, but even if your talent isn't there yet, right? If what you're making isn't yet good, your taste is good, right? Going back to this idea of taste, I got this idea from Ira Glass, and he says, you know, the ta your taste, your excellent taste, is is why you got into the game, and it's only through making lots of bad art and putting it out there and having conversation about it putting it up to public scrutiny and developing a thick enough skin to be told that it's an hour of theatrical screeching, right? Like that <laughs> hurt, 
Like that wasn't fun to hear, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but like, um, you know, to like, it's only by going through that process and by trusting the practice that my ability, my talent will come to match my taste. And that's such an important, but I have to trust my taste. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I jumped, I jumped the gun a little bit by starting a publishing company and saying, okay, I'll just publish all the stuff that I think is great and that I wish I had written first, but I'm not good enough to write. I can at least publish it. Right. It's like my mm-hmm. way of owning it. Um, but it doesn't, but then I also say, okay, but I should still write. I should still create the things that I wish existed that haven't been written yet. And through time and practice, they will become better. And I will, um, you know, and, and I will refine my talent so that it, eventually matches my my taste right so you know i think to be an artist is to put things out in the world is to have an audience and like it will always speak to some people there are plenty of people that love that love really bad art so they can love your bad art (laughs) Mm -hmm. and as your art gets better more people will love it and maybe more (laughs) of the right people you know what i mean yeah so i don't know like you know it doesn't have to be good for me to like make it and put it out there that's a good that's a good note for sure. Yeah, I think my final note was almost exactly what Pete was trying to say. Oh, um, sorry. We we went no, it's cool. <laughs> I I think it's great that we arrived at the same conclusion. Yeah. yeah. Um we've been talking about a lot of stuff. I've like picked up so much stuff from you, Fahed, like art as a service, keep your day job, ikigai. <laughs> um I've sort of like in the first five minutes realized like the the sort of balance between business and art that you have which I was, I expected to be like this really strange, like push and pull, like, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Um, and I guess like what I got from it was that you're kind of uncompromising and feeling, filling a niche that sort of like you believe in and that allows you to like build a business around it that is financially successful and true to your vision. So that's already off the table already. What I kind of want to talk about is what Pete is talking about where there's a lot of like, there's like an artist, artist stereotype where we're kind of like doubtful and we're like afraid of success because it means that we did this thing that a lot of people like, and it's sort of like a self-defeating type thing. Um, So I just want to highlight some stuff that I learned from you that sort of will maybe apply to other people. And this is all stuff you've said. I'm just kind of like condensing it to the end segment. Um, Confidence, which a lot of us lack because we're all swimming in self-doubt. so, so believing that your work is wanted and that there is an audience for it. The second one, which builds on that is perseverance. Like when you put something out and it doesn't get a lot of likes on Instagram or there's not a lot of people at the show that you like put it up at or who stood in front of your art out of like the whole gallery of stuff. So perseverance, um, confidence, and also the last thing is talking to people. <laughs> which a lot of us artists are just like hunkering down. I'm going to draw a thing. I'm going to take a picture to like do it all by myself, like a solitary type thing. Um, but similar to what Nick was saying, like building a community, getting to know your community. Um, and you're saying building a network. Mm-hmm. School was sort of a, a great network building tool for you where you could find a lot of singers and a lot of vocalists and stuff like that. Um, but that's the three things that, I sort of want to encourage for like a person like myself who might be listening to this podcast that I have picked up from having a conversation mm-hmm. from you and I'll let you have the last word on sort of like okay. what you think of that or if you want to add anything else. <laughs> um, so go for it. No, I love it. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, what you were saying about, and it's like not just talking to them, right? Being interested in them, right? 
Uh, um, uh oh, it's saying my internet connection is unstable. Hopefully, it will be okay. Oh, let's just um, wait till it comes but, back. Yeah, like being. But yeah, I think, you know, like, again, having an, a genuine interest in other people, right? Like, not just talking to them, but being interested in them, being down to collaborate, learning what they're interested in, you know, like, when, when I meet other musicians, um, and I'm like, oh, what do you what do? you do? Right? And I'm like, if, if I'm into their stuff, like, either I want to publish it, or maybe I want to write for them because they're great performers or something like that. Um, and, and yeah, I think there's, you know, like, the, the confidence question is an interesting one. Like I said, I think I come off as more confident than I am. Um, you know, in situations like this where we're not presenting art. Um, but that being said, I think there is a faith that you have to have, right? That your audience is out there. And when you put, and by putting that stuff out there, you're, you're allowing your audience to find you. Um, and and to, to that, your last point about um, just being afraid of success. I don't think you will be afraid of success if you have a mission. That's what I think. If you've got a strong sense of mission with your work, right? Whether it's just, I mean, some art just exists to help people be kinder to each other. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, by witnessing this art, I feel like I understand people better or I understand, you know, whatever. And like, I just want to be like nicer to people. Like that's an amazing right. mission. Make mm -hmm. art that makes you, that makes other people nicer to each other, you know? Um, like there's no fear of success there. There's only a desire to fulfill your mission on a greater scale and to have a deeper impact, mm -hmm. right? It's all about having not just like a breadth, but a depth of impact with your work. And if, as long as your focus is on the mission, is if your focus is on making a lot of money, if your focus is on becoming famous, um, that's not gonna, it's, it's not gonna go anywhere, right? You can't be famous for the sake of being famous. But if you're, if your hope is to have an impact on people and to have a, a particular mission in mind, right? Then when you start to successfully do that, you're only gonna be excited about being able to do it bigger. You know, like every bit of fame that you get, every bit of success you have that, um, gives you a bigger platform, right? That gets you invited on cool podcasts. You're going to use every bit of that 90 minutes and make sure that they go over there a lot of time so that you can drive home the point that if you have a mission as an artist, right? You will, you will find success. <laughs> yeah. That's totally I get you. what it is, you know, like, yeah. and that's, and for me, that's like, that's the core thing is, um, and success can mean money, but it can also just mean affecting a lot of people in a really great way. Right. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good spot to, Oh, do you have another thought? Pete? No, I was just going to say we have, um, we have another thing that we like to do to extend this podcast. <laughs> and I apologize right now, but we have this thing called um, art recommendations um, where we like to recommend art to each other and also to the listeners. Um, so i don't know chris did you come prepared <laughs> yes i did yeah I and so did I. the exact um, so so we'll go first to yeah, not we'll put you first. on the spot yeah um and this could be okay. any type of art that you would recommend us to listen to look at read whatever it just is a nice way to promote something that maybe somebody hasn't heard or listened to or anything like that um sure. but um I was just thinking, um, I was just thinking, man, I kind of want to make my own music now, 
just so I can name that album an hour-long screech. Because <laughs> that sounds like a really... I would I would dig the shit out of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, right. I've got a friend whose band name is White Boy Scream, so why not? Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. Oh, man, the amount of Noise Fest stuff that I... Anyway, um, I guess I'll start with my R-Rec. Is that cool, Chris, or do you want to start with yours? We started no, mine last time. You go ahead, Chris. Oh, okay. Well, mine's, like, not... It's art, um, technically. <laughs> um, so I was watching part of a, a Bruce Lee documentary, and that's basically what I want to recommend to you it's called a warrior's journey on amazon if you have amazon prime um if you're able to watch it i i would definitely do it um and you are oh great oh yeah i've been doing martial arts since i was nine years old then you probably know everything in the documentary but (laughs) i was i like know his story basically but this is the first like kind of deep dive i've been wanting to see it i know what you're talking about okay cool and I, I just think like cool. hearing his philosophy on stuff, just like in general, is something that's really greatly applicable even to the arts. Um, yeah. So. You know what's interesting about Bruce Lee? And yeah, like one of the things that I admired about Bruce Lee is he wasn't afraid to take multiple disciplines or take teachings from this or from that mm-hmm. or anything like that and sort of, you know, apply it. You know, and it, he's a very, he's like one of those type of artists where because it wasn't happening, but he knew he wanted to do it, he created it, you know, Absolutely. and it's, and it's like, you know, Absolutely. how many, like, you know, how many, everybody is affected by, by Bruce Lee. <laughs> it's like, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And you don't even have to like fighting. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a fighter at all, you know, but it's like when somebody is, not afraid to take disciplines from everything or teachings or anything like that and just listen to everybody mm-hmm. like that's we need more of that you know yeah, yeah the, the Dao of Jeet Kune Do is a great book it's yeah yeah cool well it sounds like you guys already studied on it but you should watch it anyway <laughs> no, I, I, I want to yeah. read the uh, see the documentary here it's great cool. I haven't great. seen that documentary either but yes Fahed and I are both really into martial arts <laughs> so, cool. um okay right, so mine um mine is kind of um, in this business in art realm. Um, my recommendation is this documentary called Cutie and the Boxer. Okay. And I guess I didn't realize this, but it does sound like a martial arts film. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not necessarily a martial arts film. Um, okay. It's about this Japanese uh, couple who live in Soho, Manhattan. And um, the... Um, the the man he um he uses sort of boxing techniques to create his art um that's what he's sort of famous for but he's also famous for his uh for his sculpture work too and then Hmm. the uh wife um the woman she's also a very famous artist but it it focuses a lot on the struggle as an artist in being able to pay bills um Hmm. and being able to get your work out there and that sort of stuff um it's very sad and a very fascinating documentary right <laughs> uh but i would recommend watching it and here's the thing i think you have to get it on itunes or or buy it or something like that oh, okay. i know oh, okay. yeah. that's all right i mean <laughs> but 
this was gonna happen eventually yeah but it's not like you know it's probably like a dollar or two or something like that yeah yeah and but not really everybody good... has amazon prime so correct i guess yeah. yeah so cutie and the boxer gotcha okay, written down boxer. thank you all right uh, have you had enough time Fahed? yeah yeah for sure um i mean you know so i'm not going to recommend my own stuff <laughs> website. You'll have you'll have a chance of that. At the end. Yeah, we're definitely gonna ha- let you gonna, plug. If I'm not gonna plug in my publishing company, you know, like, there's, there's really great recordings very of every plugs. piece. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I I, I want to share with people the um, the names of the two most influential uh, vocal artists for for me, um, who I just people I just totally love. Uh, it's and it's Meredith Monk and, and Toby Twining. Um, and Toby in particular, I just, his music, um, his, his most recent album, Eurydice, um, which is, uh, he, he, he wrote the music for the Sarah Rule play, Eurydice, which is um, Eurydice's side of the, of the Orpheus story. And, uh, and it's just an unbelievable um, album of just incredible vocal music. Um, just stuff like, I don't know, it, he rides the line between experimental pop and acapella, like college acapella and experimental new music perfectly. And, um, and so I'm always spreading the Toby Twining gospel, strongly recommend. And all of his, um, all of his albums are available um, to stream on like YouTube and probably other places, but definitely um, all the albums are on YouTube at least. Very cool. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, Meredith Monk is, man. Meredith Monk is killer. She's, um, her, her opera Atlas is like so yeah. special. Um, but yeah so both of those cool. both of those people together have like just guided so much of my work as a composer and performer thanks well thank you so much for your time ahead like we said moments ago we'll give you a chance to plug all the things that you want to plug <laughs> um be sure to yeah. spell it out yeah let case. people know where to go and yeah we'll yeah. put links in our uh podcast description great yeah i mean if people are if people are curious about um like the, the the oratorio that I'm working on or anything like that, you can. It's um, there's all the information is on my website, which is fahedsiadot.com. Um, Do you mind spelling that? Yeah, it's uh, F like Frank, A H, A D like David, S like Sam, I A D like David, A T like Tom, dot com, uh, and cool. uh, and then there's my publishing company, um, which is Siadot Music Publishing, which is like C S E E A D O T dot com, or you can go to bestnewchoralmusic.com. It will also be <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Nice. So, um, and, and I think if people are curious about what I mean by innovative and adventurous music, um, you'll see on the publishing company's site, there's like, you know, score videos and recordings for every piece in the catalog and you can get a good, um, actually, and I also publish Toby Twining's music so you can hear a bunch of the stuff on that site. Um, so yeah, nice. those, are, those are the things that I, I, I would care to plug. Very cool. Thank you for your time and yeah, talking to us and getting us all inspired for stuff. I'm ready to make stuff like literally good, right now. Good, great. Yeah. Yeah, please make things, make things. Yeah, it's really make refreshing. <laughs> yeah, it's refreshing to hear like, you know, when, when <laughs> just, I guess really quick, when, <laughs> when, when it says business and then podcast, I'm usually like, I'm not listening to that. Man. <laughs> That's going to make me go to sleep. Uh, so I hope people enjoy this podcast and I really do want to thank you for for coming on and sort of breaking down barriers for um, artists wanting to, you know, feel good about what they make and, and know that, you know, 
just because there is a business behind it, that doesn't mean that you need to shut down or. You are already an entrepreneur. Every artist is. Yeah. So once you sort of like just acknowledge that, that that's the case, you're good. You're golden. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Y'all's been listening to the Art Take podcast, Chris, Pete, and Fahed. So Thanks, listen all. for next podcast. We will have a new interview and uh yeah so thank you very much catch y'all later bye to reach us with your art takes our email address is thearttake at gmail.com no spaces or punctuation don't forget to follow us on instagram at the art take and subscribe to our youtube channel also named the art take where we make fun one-off videos on random art topics as for us your lovely hosts you can find pete at drums with pete and me, Chris, at Chris Nick Picks. Thanks for listening.